Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shop with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Australian Open Round 2 catch-up. Emma Raducanu fights but falls to Kovanich. Daniel Medvedev overcomes the crowd in Kyrgios. And Andy Murray's hopes are dashed in straight sets. Kim, today is the 20th of January and we are here to catch up on round two of the Australian Open at Passing Shot HQ. As British fans, I think it's been a round to forget, a day to forget. We've had all the Brits fall who went on court lose, which is fairly disappointing. And yeah, it was a bit bit of a rubbish start to the day, I think. How was your morning? Yeah, it was a bit disappointing waking up, finding out that Andy was two sets down to a guy who we kind of all thought that he would be pretty comfortable against and perhaps he did as well and that was part of the problem I don't know and then once that particular avenue of hope had been stomped out we had Emma Raducanu and her blisters and yeah they kind of got in the way of um of her progress in this tournament it was a very nasty uh blister on her on her hand and despite her best efforts and her fighting through getting that second set it it just wasn't to be it was it was a step too far I think um considering she couldn't really serve or hit a proper forehand so uh you know not all negative but yeah quite disappointing for the British players Dan Evans however did have I guess a fairly decent day didn't even have to play his match he got through on a walkover because Arthur Rinderknecht had uh an injury so Evans is through to face Felix in the third round um but yeah Andy and Emma are are no longer and yeah I mean let's start shall we with let's start with Andy Murray because you know he was up against Taro Daniel I think he's about 120th in the world and actually this is the first time that Andy has lost to a player that uh lowly ranked at a Grand Slam so I think he's very disappointed in in how he played and the nature of the defeat especially yeah I mean we were now foolishly thinking that you know this was a match where you know he could get on court get off court with you know with minimal fuss you know we've spoken about how much court time he has needed in in just a match at Grand Slam recently he's not really had any straight set matches and you know we all thought that this was a, a possibility for him to get a straight set match in before potentially facing Yannick Sinner in round three that obviously was not to be and it was a it was a disappointing performance I think from from Murray you know he didn't put it on you know fatigue and you know the fact that he played a warm-up tournament in Sydney got to the final and then had a really long match against Bastanashvili in the first round he didn't put it down to fatigue and it just makes it I think all the more disappointing and you know I think when he kind of reflects on this defeat I think he thinks about the fact that He's not going to get many of these 
opportunities um you know at grand slams anymore and this is what makes i think these defeats so so painful and as as fans watching as well so you know hard to swallow because you know this was a very much a, a big opportunity for him and to to lose in straight sets and have many opportunities and not take them you know he only converted two of 11 break points there were lots of unforced errors in his game i think he he racked up 49 in total it was a level that i think it just sort of took us by surprise really because we know andy murray we know him at the australian open as you know a five a five-time runner-up and i just don't think that performance and i don't think any of the spectators going to watch that match would have you know looked at what he was he was doing on court and said that was a you know that was a performance befitting of a a person who's been to the final f- five times in the in his career yeah i think just the failure to to get any of those 11 break points except for two of them you know it's just mm. that is not a good percentage um you know you're getting those chances and just not not taking them i mean Dar- daniel was was good at snuffing out <laughs> quite a few of those and i was very impressed actually with daniel what i saw of him in that match i hadn't really watched him play before and I think <laughs> I afterwards he said he mentioned that he had beaten Novak Djokovic in Indian Wells uh to, in 2018 and I thought I do not remember that at all but um I've yeah just just googled that and it it did happen it was a three-setter I think that was when Djokovic was coming back from the elbow elbow injury but um I mean he was coming in I think with full of confidence and you know perhaps you know I was I was underestimating that because you know he came through I think qualifying without dropping a set he didn't drop a set as well uh, in his first round match so he's obviously been playing some you know very 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 good tennis and you know I think that you know that time he's had at Melbourne Park getting used to the courts getting used to the conditions I think has helped him and it's it's helped him at the right moment you know he's played He's played a guy who, you know, he's probably looked up to certainly in the in the rankings over, you know, over probably the majority of his career. And, you know, he's he's been aware that he has had to, you know, raise raise his game for it. But at the same time, you know, I think he's he was talking about going to match, you know, thinking, you know, I'm don't think about you facing Andy Murray, just treat it like any other match. And I think, you know, having the previous um performances including you know going through qualifying I think really helped him be in that right frame of mind to you know start quickly get going and really kind of unsettle Murray and I think you know from that that first set really it was it was I feel like quite at times I feel like feel quite ominous it felt like Murray was quite flat and at the same time Daniel was yeah very much up for it. Yeah I I agree I think he he's relished this opportunity and he's made the most of it and I think Actually, he did play Rafa, I think, back at the US Open in 2017, took a set off, off Rafa, which again, I didn't remember. You you reminded me of that prior to this uh, this evening. So a player that typically hasn't had many moments on a big court or a big stage. So, you know, you do have to, um, I guess it's like his 15 minutes of fame almost, isn't it, as well? It's, it's um, you have to welcome that into, it's nice when like a journeyman like Daniel does have that moment. So you know, it's it's nice for him, as annoying and frustrating and disappointing as it is for Andy. It's it's really interesting because, you know, this match was going on a similar time that, you know, Emma Raducanu was going on. And you talk about that 15 minutes of fame. And I, I do think, you know, these these players, when they come up against Andy Murray, you know, three-time Grand Slam champion, Emma Raducanu, 
teenage sensation just won the US Open. They want to, you know, they want to make the, you know, they want to make the most of of that opportunity, um, you know, to get their, you know, to get their brand of tennis out, to get their name across. And as a result, I do think there's that little extra motivation for them to go and achieve a level of tennis that, you know, they may not have, you know, reached before. And, you know, I think for Taro Daniel, he, again, it, for him that that this win will be right up there with that one you know against Novak Djokovic in in Indian Wells back in in 2018 I think he actually said he felt he played better tennis today you know the kind of tennis I would like to aspire or keep like this is my level and keep building on that that's the kind of goal I have is what he was saying and you know I, th- I think it's that's always going to be the struggle I think for for Andy when he comes up against these these players who yeah three four years ago we would have said get on the court get off the court get it get it done in an hour and 30 two hours two hours tops but now they're you know really kind of elevating and bringing these kind of match match of my life performances to the table and it's making them much more difficult I think to put away and again I think that's what's happened here and and Daniel's you know, for, I think for many people surprisingly run out the the straight sets winner but you know, you look at the, you look at it on court. You look at it on on TV. I don't think even Andy Murray fans can have any qualms with that, given the performance that he put in. Perhaps uh, Taro Daniel will be this year's Aslan Karatsev. You know, qualifier. He's around the same age actually as Karatsev. So perhaps it's another player like late on in their career who hasn't really done much uh, up to now. Perhaps he will. You know, go further. He's got Yannick Sinner next. Um, I expect Sinner will, you know, put him to bed. But because of what happened with of last year, I wouldn't want to underestimate any qualifier anymore. Um, and I think the match today has, has sort of taught us our lesson a bit there. Um, I mean, let's have a look at the Emma Raducanu match as well, because obviously the draw with this one, you know, Danka Kovinic, we think, oh, she's come through Sloane Stevens. Surely this is going to be a bit of a, you know, kind of, regulatory affair you know straight sets whatever she can she can do this you know if she's got through that tricky opening match but yeah it's um she started off really well three love up um and then I think it became quite evident that she was struggling with with this blister and actually um her team prior prior to the the match they said that they didn't some of them didn't really want her to play that she's hasn't been able to you know hit forehands or serve in practice because of where the blister is it just makes it incredibly painful and and awkward and it did look nasty what we saw of it on the court and you know that sort of second set onwards she was sort of resorting to playing just forehand slices basically and I mean she managed to win a set basically only having a forehand slice so I think you know she said that it's a big obviously a learning opportunity and um she's taking the positives from it she seemed quite you know um engaged and and positive in her press conference and I think that there are other ways she could have reacted she could have been a bit oh woe is me how how could this happen I'm so you know this is so uh, unfortunate but she I think you know kept fighting did what she could um played on tried her best ameliorating like what you know with the blisters trying to manage it trying to change her game up which you know you kind of have to do you have to adjust in the moment sometimes um and I you know she had opportunities she could very well have have managed to win that match it would have been a real long shot when we saw how bad the blister was but um the fact that she took it to three sets I think is testament to her her kind of grit and, and determination 
yeah, it was a very gritty, a tight affair, wasn't it? And I think Kovinic did well, I think, to, again, not let the, the pressure of the situation, you know, all the noise around her opponent get to her and just sort of get on and, and focus on her game. Um, I think it was it was sort of a fascinating battle. I don't think both players played their best tennis and it was I think unfortunate I you know at times Raducanu I feel like was was barely holding barely holding her racket she was I think withhold withheld withholding on you know some of her shot selections as well so yeah I don't think Raducanu was was certainly playing at 100% and it is I guess it is frustrating I'm glad that she did play it though I you know I you know I, I think that I think again, I, I hate to use this term, Kim, because I swear we just use it every time we talk about Radicanu. But everything will be a learning experience for her, and I think playing through the pain barrier um, is a really good way. I think of actually just showing fans, actually, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm here and up for the fight. Um, so I actually quite liked that she decided to play on, despite the the visual pain that she was in. I mean that that medical timeout when the the uh, trainer came on and and touched. I mean, she touched the very sensitive part of of Radicanu's body because it was a it was an immediate jolt um, from from Radicanu. So yeah, I was sort of glad to I think to see that sort of gritty Radicanu come out. It was disappointing that she wasn't able to convert that 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 third set because I think you know early on she did have opportunities. I think she had break point opportunities in both of um, you know the first two Kovinic I think service games. So. I think there was an opportunity potentially to get on top of that third set early and, and who knows what would have happened. But yeah, I think Kovinic did really well to, you know, to handle, to handle the situation. Um, and, you know, her reward is, is Simona Halep in the third round. And I think for Kovinic, you know, this time last year, she got double bageled by Ash Barty on Rod Laver Arena. So what a difference. You know, this is the first time actually someone from Montenegro has got to this stage as well of, of a Grand Slam tournament. So, you know, it's a nice historical moment for her and her country. And, you know, fair dues. I, I mean, I, I can't see her getting past Simona Halep, I think. But I think Simona Halep in the third round is a, is a great reward for what her you know her contribution to this tournament has been and you know other players may very well have actually you know it is quite hard to deal with a player who's obviously struggling with something down the other end it can be quite hard to know what to expect you know they're changing their game up and you've got to deal with that and that sort of expectation that you know I've got to make the most of an injured opponent so she did she dealt with it well enough to get through and she's now rewarded with with Halep in the the third round. I mean it was interesting because obviously you know that that blister for Raducanu made her adapt her game um, and probably adapt her game in a way that she, you know, might not have, you know, might not have ever, might not have ever realised without having, you know, a hand injury. And, you know, we specifically saw that manifest itself with that, that slice forehand, which, you know, was quite interesting actually, because it's, it, it was a shot. I feel that it did have its successes, but then also at the same time, it, it it didn't um what did you what did you make of it did you think she was using it kind of too often or you know was it is it something do you think that she could incorporate more into her game into the future or do you think she should just you know where possible just use her, her forehand as like an all-out attacking weapon as opposed to a slice and letting your player potentially dictate uh play on the court 
Well, I think she resorted to the slice because it was just too painful to, <laughs> to you know, play her usual forehand. But um, I think she, you know, she said afterwards, she, she said that she discovered that she has some sort of hand skills. So uh, <laughs> she obviously realized that, you know, she should maybe throw in a bit of a slice every now and then. You know, it, it's having that sort of diversity of shot and, and being able to change it up um, could very well be a, a good tactic to use when, when appropriate. Um and I think knowing that you've got something in your kind of arsenal uh, t- as a backup as well, should something like this happen again, you know, you've sort of been through that and you think, well, okay, if this happens again, I know I can try playing the slice more. I can t- do this, that and the other. And um, I think, you know, hopefully this won't happen again. I think she said that when she was in isolation because of COVID, she couldn't you know, pick up a racket for quite a long time, a few weeks. So I think that's affected like the skin on her hands and meant that when she started playing again, it just was um, not responding in the usual way. So uh, hopefully this can be avoided again. But I think it's a really useful and valuable experience and she'll have plenty more slams to play. So I don't think um, we should be too disappointed. I think what we've seen from Emma is is positive in, in the way she handled it today. Yeah, definitely. I think given what you know what we saw out in her first match where she nearly got uh you know double bagel to seeing how she's done you know with that win against Sloane Stevens the fight and determination I think she showed against Kovinic I think we're in a I think a lot better position I think we can see you know with her kind of new team her new setup um that there's there's opportunities there to make you know to to make improvements to kind of refine um and strengthen her game and i mean on on to the next tournament it doesn't matter if it's going to be a grand slam or you know on the wta tour i mean at the moment it feels like the grand slams are her home and she's going to have to be able to live with the you know the smaller tournaments and and you know the smaller oppositions on the on the smaller courts um and yeah again it will be another back to the back to the grind situation and yeah, getting used to, I think, you know, being a mainstay on the WTA tour. Definitely. And I mean, let's look at what else we had uh, this this morning. Uh, whilst we were all uh, up and about, uh, we obviously had on Rod Laver Arena, big match against Daniel Medvedev and uh, Nick Kyrgios, home favourite. And I think this kind of went the way I was expecting. You know, Kyrgios had never actually lost to Medvedev previously, uh, but their, their prior matches had been at least, you know, three years ago. And then earlier, and um, Medvedev came through this one in four sets, uh, 7-6, 6-4, 4-6, 6-2. So Kyrgios was able to grab that third set. But, you know, I think the most exciting bit of this match for me was probably, yeah, maybe that first set tiebreak. Thinking, well, what 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 kind of way is this match going to open up and start out? And then I guess, you know, Kyrgios grabbing that set, crowd going wild, Um that was kind of quickly nipped in the bud by by Medvedev in, in the fourth set. But I think, you know, Medvedev overcame overcame the crowd, overcame Kyrgios' antics. But Kyrgios, essentially too inconsistent, um, doesn't have the stamina. doesn't have the weapons. Yeah, doesn't have doesn't the have stamina, stamina. Yeah. consistency to match someone of Medvedev's calibre. You know, he is potentially going to finish as world number one uh, at the end of this tournament should he win it. So a golf in difference, I think. And that this match showed that, I think. It was a really, really good performance. I think that, yeah, as you said, that first set, that first set tie break was critical because 
would have been, I think, very interesting had Medvedev lost that tiebreak and, and gone a set down to Kyrgios because I think even the crowd would have, you know, got in, I think, even even earlier. But I think by the time Kyrgios did win a set in that third set, I think he was all all out of energy, really. I think he, you know, he had huff, huffed and puffed and yes, he was able to get that break in and and win and and reduce the deficit to two sets to one but Medvedev just had a a second win ready for Kyrgios that he was not able to deal with and he just kind of steamrolled through that four set 6-2 um you know what i thought was kind of interesting was you know at the end of the match we had you know Jim Courier on court you know talking to Medvedev about his performance and you know Medvedev kind of talked about the crowd you know booing him between his first and second serve um and again, that interaction and engagement that he has with with the crowd, I think he does it in a way that is, he's not like, he's not kind of flustered by it. He doesn't let it kind of get on top of him, but he is certainly, I think, aware of it. Um, and, uh, you know, we all know these, the atmosphere at Nick Kyrgios matches is sort of party and and carnival football-like atmosphere. Um, but yeah, again, it was impressive that Medvedev was able to just sort of, block that out and and get on with it yeah he did handle it well today um despite them making noises but I I think you know at the end as well in the interview um it sounded like the crowd were booing which I would you know think I was thinking if they are booing that's incredibly rude but I think what they were doing is that Ronaldo suing thing, which is just really strange. And Jim it's like the was Vuvuzela, to... it's like the Vuvuzela <laughs> chant, isn't it, of the uh, the twenty twenty two Australian Open? Yeah, I mean, Jim Curry was trying to explain to Medvedev that it wasn't booing that they were doing this this thing. And I don't um, know. I think they. I genuinely. You think do they think they're actually booing? I, gen- I genuinely think. I genuinely think they were. Um, but Medvedev had to tell them in that in that interview to to shush it because he couldn't even hear Courier trying to explain what the the Sioux chant was. So, I mean, regardless, yeah, they were being disrespectful in that extent anyway. And I just think what, I don't really get this Sioux thing. I, I, why why would you do a chant that sounds like boo? I, I, I don't know. really understand it. This is going to end up on a future like pet peeves fan pet peeves podcast episode isn't it um yeah it was uh, yeah it was a bit um yeah it, it was a bit there and it it did make me think about you know the Australian Open just generally and you know the fact that they call it or they do call it that the happy slam I don't Joe you know, I just think this year and and also a little bit of, of last year as well you know I look at kind of you know what's going on and you know the crowd interaction as well yes I know this is a Nick Kyrgios match and it doesn't necessarily happen at every single match but it just I don't know it just doesn't it doesn't feel very happy at the moment I don't think and it feels like there's a lot of tension and aggro and it could be jokey it could be a little bit more intimidating um but and and it could come from the and it does I think come from the you know the crowd at some points but um yeah, it just it it feels like the I don't know. It feels like the the DNA of the tournament I think has changed arguably more so than the other three slams over the last you know few years, potentially because of the the pandemic and, and the vaccine situation. But yeah, it was just something I I think I observed. You know, given the yeah, given the interactions and all the noise that I think was been making during that match. But then again, it could have just been that Sue sound that um has seemed to have kind of become the biggest the biggest trend in, in Melbourne Park this week. 
I think, um, you know, this is only really what we're seeing on the on the main show courts. I don't know if they're anyone suing <laughs> on the outer courts. Um, I mean, Novak Djokovic is suing Tennis, tennis Australia. Uh, <laughs> A different kind of tabloid. suit, yes. <laughs> different sort of suing, yeah. So we were all wondering if there would be boos on court if Djokovic stepped on court. But there's there's suing instead happening. Um but yeah, I don't, I think it's also a, only a certain subset of the crowd, um, mostly young men. I think maybe the kind of ones that would have been up in the like Aussie fanatics, like back in the day. I, I don't think it's, you know, like the majority of the crowd, it's just a maybe a handful. Um, they're just able to make it quite loud of their booming voices so uh hopefully it's one of those faddy things that will shortly you know people will <laughs> lose interest in doing it <laughs> i mean i'm sure they'll be present for kyrios and kokinakis doubles because they're actually uh playing mektic and pavic uh top seeds tomorrow so that's a cracking doubles match i'm sure so if i was there i'd be trying to get onto that court i mean let's look at some of the other results from today joel um because one player we haven't actually spoken about on the men's side is stefan on he was playing sebastian baez who is the young argentinian uh who was at the next gen finals at the end of last year we hadn't really heard too much about before he played that event <laughs> um and sitzbus came through in in four sets he, he dropped the second set on a tie break to baez but um i mean I don't really know what to expect from Sitzbass. We weren't really predicting him before the tournament, kind of thinking because of this elbow issue that he wasn't really one to go for. But perhaps he is going... I mean, Medvedev is in his half of the draw, which I think is a natural blocking point. But should something happen to Medvedev, you know, I can see Sitzbass perhaps sneaking through um, and perhaps the lack of attention is just what he needs right now. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think he'll mind having dropped a set given the lack of, um, you know, lack of tennis I think he's had recently. So I think to have minutes on court for him is a, a good thing at the moment that, that just gives him more time to, to play, you know, to play tennis. And, you know, particularly I think post elbow surgery, I think every you know, minute on court is going to make him feel more comfortable. So again, another, another player to watch. I mean, looking, at the women's draw, Kim, we had some big, big shocks today. Um, a lot to lot to talk about there. We've got Contivate, Muguruza, and Rybakina all losing, all out um, of the Australian Open at the second round. I mean, let's start with the most shocking, which for me is Garbina Muguruza losing to Elise Cornet uh, in straight sets, six three, six three, one hour twenty seven minutes. I don't think Muguruza manufactured a break point Cornet, uh very 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 handy player but hasn't i don't think beaten a top 10 player in uh like a year and a half so for me this was very surprising uh you know we were talking pre-tournament around muguruza being one of the favorites but just just was not to be uh against uh against the french woman she does do this sometimes though muguruza she throws in a really poor match at a slam and that kind of at the back of my mind i always I've never sh can fully trust her, which is a shame because obviously this time last year she was playing really good stuff, had match points against Osaka, and you really did feel that she was um, going to be the one that would have won it if Osaka hadn't. And obviously two years ago she she got to the final, didn't she, and lost to Kenin. So this is probably her worst AO match in a, in a quite a few years, and she just was not at the races today. You know, serve wise, 
not good. Um, I don't think she even had a, a break point, perhaps, against Cornet. And Cornet is one of those players. She does have a few scalps. I think sometimes she does play better against the top the top players. And that I think that's what Muguruza alluded to. Um, so she's not someone you can just sort of rock up and, you know, play really below par and expect, um, you know, to get through. If Cornet is, is on her day. Um, and I think weirdly with Cornet, she was thinking about retiring you know she's been on the tour a while perhaps you know she's sort of getting to that inevitable point where she's thinking does she want to carry on and perhaps that is making her play with a bit more abandon and just think I'm just going to go for it um she actually has the I think she's the only active player on the tour who has played 60 grand slams in a row consecutively, which surprises me because I don't really think of Courtney as being like that old, but she has been around for a while, I suppose. And um, to have racked up, you know, that number of grand slams, like she's no mug. She's, (laughs) she knows how to play tennis and it shows in a match like this. Yeah. Yeah. She's a very experienced competitor. Um, And uh, as you said, perhaps, you know, the thought of, this being her last season on tour is is spurring on her on a little bit, sort of like you would have hoped with you know Andy Murray in the sense that you know, Cornet probably realizes that she's not got many of more of these opportunities left, and as a result for her, she's just like right, well I'm gonna go out you know go out swinging and yeah, she Muguruza just couldn't you know live with her today. I think Cornet um, you know was she only hit 16 unforced errors compared to Muguruza who hit more than double 33 so yeah very decent performance from Cornet uh we also had Clara Torson uh one of my one of my favorites Kim that we I think we always <laughs> always bring up on the on the pod uh she grabbed her first career third round Grand Slam um berth with a win against Annette Contevate the sixth seed 6-2-6-4 again a very another very ruthless uh ruthless scoreline one hour, 19 minutes. Um, yeah. I mean, this this felt to me maybe a little less surprising. But at the same time, you know, both players, I think, have been playing some very, very good tennis recently. But but Torsen is just underlining, I think, that, again, perhaps like Raducanu at the end of last season, this this will be... I mean, you could arguably say, actually, Torsen's last season was her breakout season. But she's just going to go up and up the rankings. Yeah, and this, I mean, this match, I think, surprised me just because the way Contivate, you know, finished last season and how she seemed to have started in her first match here. I think, you know, this wouldn't have surprised me so much if Contivate had been the Contivate of, of a year ago. Um, and I think it's a shame, actually, because Contivate and Muguruza obviously both finished last season very strongly and they both like being kind of obliterated off the court today I think it's the the, the manner of the the score lines really you know straight sets but yeah again like like Cornet you know Clara Torson today everything went very well she you know she's just hitting winners left right and centre serving well just kind of one of those days where it all all boxes ticked and it all comes off nicely in the third round she's playing Danielle Collins perhaps it's not going to be one of those days it, she could try and go for all her shots and they may not come off so um perhaps still a bit of a kind of hit and miss but I mean if she can keep this form and execution of her tennis up then I see her getting through Collins as well who is a very you know tough battler but um I think Torson 
has the you know potential to go deep and perhaps she'll be inspired by what Raducanu did in New York and think well you know maybe this is this is my time because she did win the girls event here uh in 2019 so quite recently really um to to won a title you know at, at this event albeit a junior slam I think um she's she's one to to watch uh to see how deep she can go yeah yeah I mean she's got a nice yeah nice matchup against Danielle Collins both of those players I think will see that as an opportunity um of, of a big opportunity of making the fourth round um and as I said we've got Elena Rybakina, the 12th seed. Unfortunately, she had to retire due to a foot injuries. She was uh, 6-4, one love down to Zhang Shui of China, uh, who's got to the quarterfinals at the Australian Open before. Um, but yeah, a bit yeah, a bit annoying, I think, for Rybakina, because I think a lot of us were, again, sort of talking about her as one of these players you did not want to face. You know, she was playing some very, very good tennis, uh, you know, in the build-up to to Melbourne and uh, yeah it's unfortunate that you know her body has has got in the way I think of her potentially making a, a deep run in the in the tournament yeah it's a shame and um you know I had her down as my finalist so I uh have maybe put a curse on her and it's a shame <laughs> because yeah she she seems to start out really well and then like maybe get an injury or just things happen so uh let's hope she recovers quickly and um can be back on tour and picking up that form which saw her get to was it i think the i want to say adelaide final earlier this season against barty um but we did have two other seeds in action today um sabalenka had another sort of tough day uh another tough days on serve lots of double faults <laughs> yep, yep. but she did come through which is the main thing uh one six six four six two against uh Jinju wang um yeah coming through after losing that first set six one again serving i think 12 double faults in that set alone i think she had about half of those in her first service game um you know it's about winning ugly sometimes and if she can you know play her way through to maybe the second week and gradually you know work on that serve and just do what she can to actually just get the win who knows she might suddenly turn it all around I mean you just don't know you've just got to get the win at the end of the day haven't you in these early rounds yeah I mean she is she is fighting through I think this is the first first time she's won from a set down uh in multiple matches at a slam so it it shows I think you know the great character I think she has she's not just giving up because her serve isn't working she is finding a a way through and I think yeah it's gonna obviously you don't want to kind of lose too many sets 6-1 and and you know have to kind of fight back from such a a big deficit and yeah for for Sabalenka the second seed she's gonna want to make sure that she can get a, a better start quicker because I think that's what some of her other fellow players are doing and Igor Sviontek is one of them who again is playing some very very good tennis at the moment and I think you know she credits certainly the fact that she's able to make a fast start that is helping her just kind of run away with with winning you know she uh, you know beat Harriet Dart um, you know in the first round and then uh, in the second round she had another very very comfortable performance against Rebecca Peterson 6-2 6-2 so yeah, I mean, it's for Sviontek, Yeah, I think she's definitely one to watch given given the starts that she has had. Um, she's obviously playing with 
full of confidence at the moment and it's just leading her into a I think positions where you know she feels more relaxed and comfortable and can swing freely and yeah the score lines are just yeah been a little bit of a reminder of, of when she won the the French Open and, and, and was kind of just blitzing the field so we'll see how that develops but yeah some a very very good opening couple of rounds I think for Sri Tech. Yeah it wouldn't surprise me if she did what she did at the French she's she's also got a new coach that she's working with and she just seems like in a very good place uh you know physically mentally so um and just a note on Sabalenka almost reminded me a bit of of a Sasha Zverev when he's having um grief on his serve and I think you know when Zverev got to that US Open final against Dominic Team, he hadn't played particularly well I would say in that tournament but just kind of made it through and got, obviously got to the final almost won it so I wouldn't be surprised if Sabalenka kind of maybe does a bit of a Zverev and uh, we'll, we'll see I don't like to compare people <laughs> but it, it just kind of that thought just popped into my mind um and just on a on a really nice positive note for like lo- local um Aussie players we had uh two Aussie wildcards getting through to the third round so Madison Inglis who um came through in that first round um oh god who did she beat in the first round I can't remember now because <laughs> it because because that part of the draw games opened up big time because yeah Madison English and Hayley Baptiste I think they both had big upsets in the first round um and it was a, a very big opportunity for one of them to make the third round and it was for the local Madison English who came through seven six two six six two she beat Layla Fernandez in the oh first there round. we go that was yes. it yeah <laughs> Layla Fernandez I was trying to think I just couldn't remember um yeah, but she came through against, yeah, Baptiste. So she's into the third round. And Christopher O'Connell uh, took out Schwartzman, Diego Schwartzman, the 13th seed in straight sets. I don't know who I'm more surprised by. Benoit Pair in the third round, Christopher O'Connell in the first round. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was actually great for, for Benoit Pair because, you know, he, I saw an interview with him after his match. He was very emotional, tears in his eyes. You know, he's obviously been through a lot. You know, he's got COVID. 364 times um over the last year um yeah he's he i think has found the bubble life and having a tour during a pandemic harder than than most people so to see him kind of come through win and get to the third round of a grand slam uh, something that he has not done in a long long time um yeah really 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 nice to see Definitely. And let's take a quick break now. Uh, But do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look back at all the action from day three in Melbourne Park. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's move on to day three at the Australian Open. I would say not as exciting as day four um but still lots of tennis to talk about um I mean we had the top as uh, top not the top seed there is no top seed I suppose in the men's side of things but uh perhaps two of the potential favorites and winners uh Sasha Zverev and Rafa Nadal they both came through in straight sets as uh, Zverev was up against John Millman you know Australian uh local hope but uh yeah Millman was not able to make much of an inroad six four six four six love that one was 
And we also had Rafa coming through in straight sets over German qualifier Yannick Hampfman, 6-2, 6-3, 6-4. I think it was a bit of a closer match than the scoreline suggested. Um, you know, Rafa wasn't at his best, but he got the job done um, as one needs to do in the second round of a slam. And I think, you know, it could have been that match against Kokonakis, couldn't it? So um, avoided a sort of big match in that respect. He's got Hatchinov next, though, uh, which is tomorrow. And that will obviously be a big, big step up, I think, you know, from Hanfman, who's, you know, 120 odd in the world to to Karen Hatchinov, who is dangerous. I mean, it felt like, you know, Nadal Hanfman was very similar matchup for, you know, Murray Daniel, um, you know, with Hanfman coming through qualifying. Um, you know, it was it was still quite tough for Nadal. You know, it took him two hours, 42 minutes to, you know, to win. So, you know, Yes, it was a straight set scoreline, but yeah, it was quite tough for him. Um, I mean, moving on to the, some of the other seeds that were in action, you know, we had Alcaraz and Berrettini winning, which is very exciting because they will face off against each other in the third round. Perhaps one of the picks of the third round, Carlos Alcaraz versus Matteo Berrettini. Um, they both won in straight sets. Alcaraz beat Dusan Lajevic 6-2, 6-1, 7-5. Um, and yeah, Berrettini also uh, winning against Nakashima 6-1, oh, 4-6, 6-4, 6-1, sorry, in four sets. So yeah, that will be a very interesting matchup, I think, Alcaraz and Berrettini. I think we'll know where Berrettini's body is at, and I think we'll know where Ar- Alcaraz's body is at in terms of uh, you know his, his muscle development, I think. But that, that could be quite tasty. Have you got any, where, where are you thinking that could go? I've got uh, Berrettini winning that, I think, because in my collector's set, I'm sure I've put Alcaraz as the third round. I mean, I would love Alcaraz to win this one, but I just think Berrettini might have a bit too much. Having said that, we saw Alcaraz in that fantastic match against Sitspass at the US Open, and then he made the course final. So he's obviously able to beat top players. Um, yeah, this is the match that I'm most intrigued by because I just it could go either way but I'd still give Berrettini the edge but I would expect Alcaraz to get a set what about you do you know I'm still gonna I mean I've got Alcaraz going into go far in my collector sets I'm gonna have to say Alcaraz and I did earmark this out I was wondering who was gonna win and I I still think Alcaraz I'm interested to see what difference you know his new physique kind of makes I think in a match like this because I do think against someone like Berrettini who you know is the hammer and has you know these massive massive weapons um Alcaraz is also going to have uh, be able to I think match those those weapons that Berrettini can draw upon so I think we're going to have a, a really 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 good match up that I think is going to be decided from the hopefully from the baseline so I'm hoping um yeah that turns out to be a bit of a Bit of an epic, bit of a barnstormer. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we also had Denis Shapovalov coming through in five sets, four and a half hours um, against Son Wu Kwon um, on Margaret Court. That was 6-2 in the fifth. Uh, that was another battling performance for Shapovalov, who is just trying to find a way to get it done um, and find himself in the next round, which he has done so. Perhaps more surprisingly, Kim, Hubert Herkaj. Losing in straight sets to Adrian Manorino of France, 6-4, 6-2, That took me by surprise. Um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, a bit of a surprise for me because I, I had Herkaj 
potentially getting to you know potentially getting to the fourth round quarterfinals but yeah not not to be I had Herkaj yeah like versus Karatsev in that four, in that third round and I thought mm. winner of I that thought it was nailed on yeah I thought winner of that would potentially then play Rafa or you know Hatchinov and you know that's a really tough little section of the draw but Herkaj yeah just straight sets against Manorino I mean of all players um, no offense to Manorino but I just don't really ever have Manorino as someone who kind of pulls off um, wins against top seeds. But I mean, Herkaj, you know, apart from that Wimbledon. I don't really associate the Herkaj with like going completely off the boil and, you know, losing, losing, you know, losing in straight sets. I don't know if there was injury troubles or, or whatever, but um, yeah, I mean, Manorino just yeah, obviously did did very, very well. It does mean, I think, that Karatsev is a dead cert, I think, you know, for the fourth round. I would say that, you know, Herkaj could have maybe given him a bit of trouble, but I would say helps Karatsev's cause. And shame for Hubert Herkaj because, yeah, after Wimbledon last year, winning Miami last year, you know, I thought he would want to start off his year in a Grand Slam in, in, in the best way. But, you know, again, still plenty of time for him to, to make inroads. And uh, perhaps maybe he's just going to be a player who will throw in a fantastic week at a Masters event. But, you know, sometimes it's just, can you consistently go deep in slams? Perhaps, you know, that's going to take time before he um, gets there. Because apart from that Wimbledon last year, he hasn't actually been beyond the third round at any other Grand Slam. So uh, plenty of time for him to work on that. Um, Let's look at the women's uh, events from day three. Uh, Not really any sort of uh, major... A lot of issues. straight set wins. Yeah, yeah no, no, no sort of surprises really. Badosa winning comfortably against Martina Trevisan. Um, Barbora Kachikova again coming through in straight sets against the Chinese wildcard. Ash Barty thrashing uh, Italian qualifier Lucia Bronzetti, only dropping two games. I think Barty's probably the one that's got through with the least games dropped so far. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, bit bit of a sad story here. Uh, Harmony Tan had to leave her match against Alina Svitolina in a wheelchair after a left calf injury. And she she did retire. She did a Yastremska and retired one game away from the end of the match. But I, I think she had a, a genuine reason uh, and obviously leaving court in a wheelchair, um, not quite the same as what Yastremska did. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure Svitolina will be quite pleased she got through that match because yeah bit of a bit of an edgy one at times and uh she's not been playing too well kim leaving in a wheelchair is that not a, a kiki burton's more than a, a diana yastremska well yeah if you want to <laughs> compare to previous retirees in dramatic fashions that that would be the case i mean switzerland though up next she's got victoria azarenka who again came through against jill tightman for the loss of just three games i thought that match was going to be quite tight uh how wrong was i um i thought tightman would have a bit more oomph but uh victoria azarenka um very on form and i expect her to get past vitalina but having said that they're both quality players so it's uh, gonna be an interesting one azarenka's got a four nil head-to-head against vitalina and i always remember back to i think last year azarenka injured herself in a warm-up um I think it was in Dubai somewhere in the Middle East I think against Svitolina and it she just effectively played on one leg and won on one leg um 
it, it was the moment I realised Fitzalina didn't really know what, how to make the most of that. Didn't really have a, a plan B, or or she just sort of played the same, and it didn't really work for her. So, yeah, it will be um, a fascinating matchup to see if if Svitolina, who you know, hasn't had the best of warm ups uh, into the Australian Open, is sort of finding some form, finding again ways to get it done, a little bit like Sabalenka. But Azarenka has, again, I think blitzed um, you know, her first two opponents. So I think that's going to be a very, potentially a very tall order for Svitolina. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, we've also got Kim, uh, Amanda Anisimova upsetting Belinda Bencic in straight sets, 6-2, Bencic the 22nd seed. Um, Anisimova gets Naomi Osaka next, which again is one of the, for me, one of the picks of, of round three, given the both, you know, given both are playing you know, excellent tennis at the moment. Um, yeah, this, I think not necessarily as big an upset as it may seem on paper, you know, an unseeded player beating, you know, the 22nd seed, but um, it just, I think just emphasizes how exciting that, that match is going to be between Osaka and us and the Samova um, when they step on court. Uh, I think, well, I think, uh, in the over in our in our morning um uk time yeah that's going to be top of my agenda to watch i know i think ash barty's also on at the same time against camilla georgie but anisimo versaka is definitely the one i'm going to be tuning in for i think anisimo said that she's always wanted to play um naomi osaka so she's right up for the challenge and i mean it's it's you know the defending champion you know four time slam winner like if you're in a good good groove with your game um you know Anisimova won that warm up event she's um she's in really good nick obviously working with Darren Cahill so this is like an amazing opportunity for her and I expect Osaka to still come through but I'd love to see Anisimova really give it to her and and have a great great cracking match um I mean Osaka I think came Osaka through. needs a test I think she, she needs does. a test yeah I think so. So I think Anisimova is certainly primed, I think, to to give her that test. And we'll have to, we'll see. I mean, it, it could easily be a match that goes goes three sets that swings, I think, each way. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think, Kim, the, the, only, the only problem is it's on at the same time as Ash Barty versus Camilla Georgie. I don't know what they were thinking with the, the scheduling there. I would have quite liked to watch both of them. That's the trouble. You've got too many, too many top matches. And tomorrow, <laughs> actually, there's some right crackers because let's let's look at tomorrow's schedule. We've got obviously Azarenka against Svitolina. Also got Krachikov Ostapenko. That could be quite interesting. Marta Kostuk against Paula Badosa. I mean, there's some real good women's matches that I'm quite intrigued about the um you know the outcomes. And I think, yeah, Anisimova Osaka is top of that list. But you've got, obviously got the Alcaraz Berrettini. I'm a, I'm a bit annoyed that's that's in the daytime because uh, that will probably be when we're asleep. But um, I mean, Rafa's got a, a tough one. Karen Hatchinov, that's the night session on Rod Laver after Ash Barty. I'm a bit stressed about that one as a Rafa fan. I think this will be a, the, the first big, big test of, of where Rafa's at, you know, performance wise. So I don't really know what to expect because Hatchinov, I remember they had that really close match at the US Open 2019 I think it was so when he's on he's really on very tough player yep we've also got Gail Monfils versus Christian Garin both those players will be looking at this as a great opportunity I'd love to see Gail Monfils go 
deep into and make a deep run into a grand slam again. It feels like this could be, it feels like this tournament could be that moment um, that happens again, uh, given the tennis he's been playing. Uh, Seb Corder as well against PCB. I think Seb Corder's record against PCB is, is awful. But again, another, another match that, feels like it could very very easy i think go go the distance yeah lots of lots of exciting matches but yeah i'm, I'm definitely looking at anisimova osaka as probably the one the top one for me i think uh, i'm going to be looking out for tomorrow morning yeah and a few british doubles players in action as well uh jamie murray teaming up with bruno suarez got fellow brit lloyd glasspool Gla- glass even and uh helio Vol- helio Vora. i can never say his, his partner's name um <laughs> and also johnny omara uh is it in doubles with vasilevsky against granodas and sabayos so a few brits out on the doubles court um and we'll round up kind of further doubles i think in, in the next pod um just a thought. I wonder how far PCB can go. I think if he could get through Seb Corder, I think, you know, PCB's got a few semi-finals at hardcourt slams under his belt. He has to fly under the radar as well, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Olympic bronze medalist. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah we- we'll see. Um, we will see. Miramir Kekmanovic making the most of Djokovic not being <laughs> there. Made it through to the third round to place on a go. So, um Yes. Anyway, we'll be back. Uh, well, actually, I will. I will not be back. Uh, I will be away for the next pod. But Lee Tennis at Telly is stepping in very kindly again. So Joel and Lee will be back to discuss all the third round action on the weekend. Yes, listeners. I hope you enjoyed listening to this round two catch up of the Australian Open. Remember to subscribe to the passing shot to stay up to date on all the action in Melbourne Park on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So don't don't forget to give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And you can also contact us via email if you prefer. We're on passingshotpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. So I will be back with Lee next time at Passing Shot HQ. That will be on Sunday morning to discuss round three at the Australian Open. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Adios. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.